Welcome to the Finance and Tech podcast. I'm your host and chief finance techie, Simon Ritchie. This is the show where we dive into all things technology for finance teams. I interview other finance techies, finance leaders, and industry legends who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help build and grow your career in finance. In this podcast, we're joined by Johnny Bray, the CEO. FO at Vistair Systems, based in Bristol in England. Vistair is an ambitious tech business that is growing fast. Johnny started at Vistair as commercial finance manager, then became head of finance, and is now the CFO. He has a diverse skill set and experience that extends beyond the traditional finance focus. He covers, he's responsible for HR, legal, and even facilities. The early part of his career was spent at Grant Thornton as an audit manager, gaining valuable experience auditing a diverse set of businesses. Interesting fact, in 2016, Johnny was recognized as one of Accountancy Age's young professionals, being named among the top 35 under 35. He also serves as a director of a community land trust, contributing to development of affordable houses in his area, South Devon in the UK. He shares some fabulous stories in this episode of his life and experience in finance, starting out in audit and loving it. I didn't think it was possible to love a role in audit, but there you go. That's just me. He talks about what the role of CFO is like. He debunks the myths and shares why he loves the role. He encourages finance people to think more widely, not just focus on the finance, the numbers, but really get into the head of your stakeholders, deeply understand them whether they're internal or external. We had a really good chat about tech and his belief that tech is a great investment in actually investing in your people. You free them up so they're more productive and that allows them to work on more strategic activities, which is much better value for the business. So here it is, stay tuned to gain insight into the multifaceted career of a CFO. I hope you enjoy. So, hey, Johnny, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me, Simon. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. So why don't we start? Could you just give us a quick overview of your background and your journey to your current role? Yeah. So um, so I, um, I grew up, grew up in the UK um, and the Middle East, um, sort of grew up in, in the world of defense. My dad worked for BAE Systems um, and then came back to the UK. Um, uh, studied a degree in physics and uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, so I found, found an international business master's thinking I didn't want to be a teacher or a research physicist um, and, and discovered this whole thing of finance. Um, so that's sort of where my, my finance career started out. Um, I started at Grant Thornton um, in the audit practice there, um, sort of the, the traditional audit path that people people go through. Um, I'm quite unusual in that I actually quite enjoyed audit. Um, so I, I always thought it was really interesting poking around in other people's businesses. Um, and, 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 and that's, you know, that's a great learning experience for people. You, you learn what what works and what doesn't work in businesses, where things go wrong. And, and you've always got the finance les, lens on it. So how badly and how, how big the impact can be when things do go wrong. 
Um, I had some fascinating clients at GT. Um, so yeah, I had, had a great time in audit. Um, but I started to see other opportunities elsewhere. So I did some time in, in some of the advisory um, functions within Grant Thornton. Um, I, I did an experiment for Grant Thornton um, where we, we trialed being an audit manager, as I was at the time, and taking on advisory work um, in, in transaction services. So working on, on M&A deals, um, diligence side of things. Um, very quickly that became apparent that, that that can work fine until two deadlines hit at the same time and then it, it's not even like it's a difficult workload it's just not possible um so yeah so so i i, I proved something was not possible um yeah. which is you know good, good good bit of evidence um but kind of in, in doing these kind of roles um a number of opportunities came out um uh, i heard about an opportunity with vista where i am now um, to, to join what was a very small finance team um, at the time. So I, I joined as a commercial finance manager. Um, Vista was at that time starting to professionalize um, and, and pretty quickly um, my job became not very much finance. A little bit of finance on the side, um, but doing all sorts of stuff. It is a small business. In small businesses, people wear many hats. Um, I wore lots of hats in sales, in account management, in sort of IT, in IT security and things like that. Um, and then uh, kind of that, that continued. And then kind of as, as people changed roles and succession came into play with Vistair, um, I stepped up to CFO um, about 18 months, coming up to two years ago. Amazing. And here I am today. Yes, excellent. Um, so I'd love we we talked a little bit about it pre-show. I'd love to um, hear a little bit about Vista itself. You're on an exciting mm. journey, already in the UK, US. You just recently launched in Australia, and you're sitting in the yeah, swanky right. new, newly redesigned office, which looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. So yes. yeah. There. So so Vista, we're, we're so we're a tech company, technology. Um, so uh, at the moment, we're 170 staff. Um, around six years when I joined, um, we were just over 100, um, and, and a lot of that growth has come in the last year. Um, so we provide technology for aviation. Uh, it sounds extremely unsexy. It's documentation, um, and that's, that's kind of one side of things, is information out to people in an airline. Now, why that's actually interesting um, is because you imagine an airline, there are hundreds of thousands of people, and the information that people in those organizations need is really complex and really, really big. The, the manual to maintain the aircraft, the basic user manual is a library's worth of books if you print it out. Um, nowadays, it's a big data set. It's not, you know, it's not actually printed out. Um, and, and that library, along with all the other libraries that go with every aircraft, um, need to get to people who might be in Zanzibar or Timbuktu, and they don't have a very good internet connection out there. Um, so what, what the technology does is it takes these huge data sets and finds the relevant bits for people really, really quickly, extracts those bits and just sends the kind of the relevant bit for these people to use um, in, in, in situ, in, in difficult places to hundreds of thousands of people in the world in a highly, highly regulated environment where any one mistake might be taken by an air accident investigator one day. Um, 10 years later to find out exactly what that person was referring to and how they got that information. So it's, it's 
it's a lot more complex than than unsexy documentation sounds. Yeah. Um, and then we've got another arm of the business. So those hundreds of thousands of people around the world, um, they uh, they see what's going on. They work for their airline, um, and they might spot hazards around a runway somewhere. Someone could see something dangerous. Right down to oh, I, I keep spilling coffee on my passenger as a as cabin crew. Um, there's something going wrong here. I might want to change my procedure. Um, so we're quite unusual in the industry. There's loads of data in aviation. Um, most of it comes from technology. It comes from systems. It comes from the aircraft. It comes from systems on the aircraft. Yeah. There's very little information from human beings. Right. Um, so what we do is we gather the information from human beings um, and, and turn that into data sets and then provide that back to the, the airline head offices where they investigate safety and investigate risk and, and, and spend their time making sure that planes don't drop out of the sky. Um, so yeah, I, aviation's a, it's a really cool industry. It's really yeah. complex. Um, <laughs> It's all over the place. There are so many moving parts. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, and you know, we, we do one, one tiny little bit of it, um, but we get to see so much of it. And it's, it's a great, great fun thing to be able to be involved in. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, just from that description, what you said sounds unsexy. It actually sounds really interesting to me. I've got tons of questions, but probably way more than we have time for now. Just a quick kind of fun, fun question. Um, if you could interview anyone, past or present, who would it be and why? What would you ask them? Okay. Um, so, uh, so I said earlier I, I studied degree in physics. Yeah. Um, so I'd say it would be Richard Feynman, which lots of people won't have heard of. Um, so Richmond Fein Richard Feynman was a physicist, a U.S. physicist. Um, I think he was sort of working in the 60s that sort of peak, peak of his career um and he he worked in sort of the forefront of theoretical physics at the time really fascinating stuff but he was a total joker um and he traveled the world being a superb lecturer and, and taking the piss out of people in the industry and and all sorts of other industries um, he's got a great autobiography, well well worth reading for everyone. It, it's not just about physics, it's about uh, a man's journey around the world taking the piss out of people, yeah. but being an extremely well-respected intellect um, in, in his domain. So yeah, he's, he's great fun. More people should learn about Richard Feynman. Okay, very good. I, I shall put that on my reading list. Thank you. So let's jump in. What I want to talk about today was like about your journey to CFO, um, mm. you know, what what made you decide? So you said you started in audit, you quite enjoyed it, fantastic. What what made you decide actually you're going to kind of push ahead, try and climb ladders and sort of head towards CFO as opposed to staying in, oh you know, one of the a more specialised yeah. role in the finance team? What 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 did that process look like for you? So, funnily enough. I sort of decided once upon a time to, to say, well, I, I, I might as well come up with a goal for myself. So let that be it. Um, so I had, um, this is going back to Grant Thornton days and they, they have a very good mentoring program. Um, so kind of where I got to, I, I had a mentor um, and it kind of, 
they Grant Thornton wants people to progress in their careers and explore where they might go and, and learn and, and start sort of setting directions for themselves. Yeah. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I never really have known what I wanted to do. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we, I sat down with my mentor um, and we kind of talked about this kind of thing, careers and things like that, and said, well, why don't you set a target? Why do I need a target? I quite enjoy doing things well and, and running with them and, and getting better at them and doing things. But I said, well, try it out, see what, see what happens. So, okay, fine, right, well, what's my target going to be? Um, that sounds good. Yeah, I, I, you know, CFO sounds good. Um, let, let's let's make that the target, and then um, I'm I'm working towards something and starting to make choices, proactive choices about myself. That was actually a really good <laughs> bit of mentoring. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I'd say I'm not typical finance, and certainly not typical accountant. Um, not I'm I've got wide interests I suppose I'd say so you know and I, I like getting involved in all sorts of other things out, outside of my space yeah. um so this this kind of this setting myself this target and it didn't matter if I didn't hit the target because yeah. at the time I didn't really care about it that much um but you know that that helped me make choices in what I was doing um that kind of you know, guided me gradually down a great meandering route in in this sort of direction. Um, so yeah, so so <laughs> why did I choose to be a CFO? I had to think of something, um, but but it it actually yeah, it's been a good target for me. You know, it fits my skill set, it fits my interests. Um, I still get to do all sorts of stuff outside of my lane, um, and, and I think that's. You know, the advantage of a company that's the size we are. Um, you know, we, we're bigger than we were when I started, um, but we are still, a, we're probably a medium enterprise these days rather than a small end of the SME. Um, but I still get to do much broader stuff, which is which is far more interesting um, than, than just the day-to-day -day finance job. Yeah, amazing. Um, for anyone sort of come like quite early in their career, well, how would you describe the main duties of a CFO typically? Like, what what would that what does that what does that look like? So, I, I would say that um, I almost have no duties. I have lots of stakeholders, okay. and I'm probably responsible for keeping the business as a whole aware of risk and being an enabler of good ideas. So, so in, in terms of duties, yes, I, you know, I have legal obligations to do certain things by company law, or I've got um, things that are in my job title that I do day to day, but that's not really how I'd describe my role. I, I, I'd describe my role as saying, actually, um, okay, I, I, we work very closely as a board working on our strategy. What is the business doing? I've got my finance hat view of that, but it's much more important that I have a far more holistic view of that, of, of what the strategy is and, and strong views um, on certain areas. And, and like a, a great relatively recent example, which has more recently kind of been one of our success stories is we were historically very good at this air at working in the flight operations, like pilots and cabin crew parts of an airline. Yeah. Um, the engineering operations, maintenance technicians, 
Um, I sort of had a gut feel this was a good area to, to do more software development work into so we could kind of expand into that part of airlines. And, and the reason I have that gut feel is that um, I've always understood organizations, and this is where the finance hat comes in. Um, you look at an airline as an organization, and basically the, the airline has three massive budgets, fuel, but we can't do anything about that in our domain, yeah. um, salaries and parts and stuff that goes on the airline. Um, and, and if you split in the salaries bill, and the parts bill is about the same, very, very simplistically. And flight ops pays all of their money into salaries and engineering pays all of their money into parts and stuff they buy. So the gut feel was that, well, engineers are gonna be good at buying parts. They're gonna have big budgets for parts. That fits more with buying technology. Whereas flight ops, they're good at buying People, recruiting people and hiring paying salaries not actually and this was always our experience they're not that good at um, buying systems um, so there's kind of a, a finance view an organizational view of how an airline works how our customer works led us to explore the engineering department as a strategy and, and at the same time the sales team was sort of hearing similar things about need and technology and kind of team was saying well we know there's these things we could be doing that could work really well for those groups in the airline. So we've got a whole load of people with different perspectives on the same thing going, actually, this looks like a lot of sense. Let's pursue that. And that, that's been a big success story. Um, so I guess I've got a, a finance spin on strategy and that's, that's really important, but it's much more than just finance. Yeah. Um, then I've got risk. And for us, cybersecurity, massive, massive risk, massive concern. We, we hold defense data, so it's, it's kind of elevated. Um, and you hear quite a lot about airlines in the news, about data breaches and stuff like that. So airlines are extremely sensitive to it anyway. Um, so yeah, there's an example of a risk that I, I own. You know, it's my job to make sure that we're thinking about that. Again, holistically, we've got technology team, we've got security got um, sort of certifications that help us do that but i've got to think about it a level up yeah um and then kind of finally the kind of enablement point is okay we've got a business strategy we want to do something let's say we want to go into engineering what are we going to do about it how are we going to finance that and that's where it comes kind of back to stakeholders again i you know, i have a budget we might make a choice mid-budget year that we want to go and do something. So I've got investors that I've got to keep happy. I've got a, a man, I've got a technology team who might need to do some development, might need some investment in order to deliver that. Um, so I've got to kind of bring all those stakeholders together and, and help everyone align yeah. in order that we can then finance the investment to go and achieve this uh, ultimately return on investment. Amazing. And then, and how does the, so that's fantastic in terms of just being exposed and really being involved in the strategic conversation, which I think mm -hmm. I met a single finance person who doesn't want that as well, but a lot of your, your, there are duties across the team and maybe, maybe you delegate them. So it's, you know, it's about keeping the books, being the, um, you know, keeping, making sure that data is 
cleaned up and yeah 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 so yeah you know, and then that's absolutely yeah if you kind of think of the more vanilla responsibilities yeah. i guess yeah. the tra traditional yeah. finance role yeah. uh, ultimately yeah. i do i do sign our accounts yeah uh, i do need to make sure that um people aren't walking away with our money who aren't supposed to be yeah. um so yeah. so financial control um you know efficiency of how we do systems and technology in order that we um, we make the most use of our teams and, and their really precious really valuable time more than just finance across the entire across the entire business yeah. um, yeah. and it, we, we've got um, as, as you said earlier because we, we talked about it before so we're in a, we're in a we're in a new old office so we've been in this building for quite a long time but we had a, a great big flood um, earlier this year. Um, due to a single leaky tap, and, uh, um, so uh, I know facilities that that fits under my responsibility. Um, so you know, sometimes I've got to be a, a construction project manager and <laughs> learn all about the construction industry and the, and the yeah. building yeah. ways of doing yeah. things in buildings and um, and and even to like electricity grid because it turned out this building did not have enough power for. What we were already doing with it let alone what we we planned to do with it as part of the refurbishment so yeah, yeah, yeah. those kind of kind of more traditional responsibilities and um, all, all very much fit in my remit um the company our size uh hr fits under me as well um bigger companies that will tend to sort of separate out facilities might if it were a big thing in, in, yeah. in industries but today our size that they all fall fall to me so johnny what would you say are some of the misconceptions of being a CFO that you can either confirm or deny or debunk now that you've been in the role for a couple of years? Um, okay, misconceptions. I think that one of the misconceptions is that it's all about finance. Because <laughs> okay. um, you know, finance, yeah, that's a part of it. Um, yeah. I know accounting is a part of it, but um, that that's not what you are expected to bring to the role you're expected to bring more strategic views and, and risk understanding of risk and understanding of organizations to the yeah. role um so uh yeah I, the finance is almost a side side piece of, of wow. how yeah. i see the cfo's role um okay. something not to be abandoned but that, that's not what it's there for um sure okay and on that, actually, what would you what would you recommend to somebody who is in a finance role and wants to be a CFO? To yeah. how do you learn those skills, or what would you recommend to learn now so that they're ready when they get there? So um, start start thinking more widely. Don't you know? Don't think about the finance function. What what does your organisation that you work in, or the kind of organisations that you're interested in? what do they actually do how do they work what goes well what doesn't go well and and start yeah. thinking in those terms and yeah if you've got a day job in finance you've got to yeah. apply what you know about that business um to to that day job and and, and um and put your finance lens on it but but ultimately finance is a support function so what is what is that day job doing? What are you doing to enable the growth of the business or the, the, the kind of progress of the business as a whole, um, rather than um, finance being what it's all about? Yeah, um, I, I think another big thing is is understand stakeholders. 
because um, yeah. because yes, you're a support function, but you're almost the only support function that touches literally everything in the entire business, and that means you've got a lot of stakeholders, um, and they've all got an interest in um, being served by you, but also supported by you, um, yeah. and. You know, there's there's a lot of people to manage um, who have different different views of the world. Okay, fantastic. Um, and and when we were chatting, you told me you're actually in a PE backed company. Yeah. It's ambitious. So I was actually curious, what's that like being a CFO in PE backed? You know, is it is it what we all expect? In super high pressure, they're on you on every detail. What does that look like for you? So. Um, so yeah, that's the reputation. I don't think it's really like that. You know, I, I'd say we've got a super PBE backer. They're very, um, they've got a good long-term view of the world. Um, and it, it, there's different flavors of PE as well. Um, you know, there are there are absolutely those PE houses who are in there to strip assets and merge really, really quickly whole groups, um, and in order to cut sort of cut overheads and, and therefore run run away. Three years later, having, having cut overheads, made a business look good on paper, but actually no better and possibly worse. Uh, you know, we we yeah. we've got um, in our investors a, a P house that wants to grow the business in the right way for the right reasons. Um, so so I'm lucky in that way. Um, I'd say we're also very very transparent. Um, you know, if, if something's not quite working how we'd expected it, or actually we underestimated how much something was going to cost, then we're out there, we're up front straight away. Um, all the financial data, we make it available as much as possible and we'll work with them in order to um, achieve what ultimately is in all of our interests. You know, it's the same, it's the same goal. PE wants to grow the business, ultimately to sell their stake. Um, and actually, we want to grow our business. So we've got the same objective in mind. If we're transparent and open about what's working, what's not, everyone wants to solve the things that are not working. Um, so our interests are aligned. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think transparency okay. makes that a lot easier. Um, so I, I would say I, I feel pressure in that I have a whole load of stakeholders to manage who have you know, very particular interests and objectives. But it's not that kind of notorious fantasy um, PE where they're just like on your back asking for data constantly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's not, you know, that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Sounds fantastic. Um, and then let's just quickly talk team. So as the CFO, what, what does your team look like and how have you structured your team um, to, you know, to make sure you've got a really high performing finance yeah. and you know it sounds like you've got broader uh, yeah yeah so i've got I, I i think i've got a great team um so i've got a very very small team very lean team um so we've got um i've got two chartered accountants um in the team one who's full-time one who's part-time um i've got a, um, a finance administrator who who does the bookkeeping she's she's more than just data and she's got lots of knowledge about um uh things like payroll and vat and kind of how to get things right the first time um, and, and yeah. actually, if there's something unusual or difficult, let's gonna raise it and, and let's get it right first time every time. Um, yeah. And then I've got a, a part-time um, uh, contractor who um, 
he kind of manages his own time, but basically he makes sure all of our management counts are um, sort of accurate and, and, and give us the information that we are looking for. Um, helps make sure that, you know, the, the kind of bookkeeping stuff, uh, accruals, prepayments, deferred revenue is a big thing in our income tech industry. All of that just happens smoothly. Um, so again, he's part-time and, and that's it. Um, so I'd say, what's the great strengths of my team? Um, they're really, really versatile and they do that thing I was talking about earlier where they understand the broader business. Um, and so you'd almost describe um, the two ACAs in my team as, as super business partners. Um, I know they're actually kind of like legal counsel to our business. And I've been, yeah. you know, one of the things I've really wanted them to do and they've done a great job is he's actually learning contract legal stuff which ultimately yeah. is not hard it's the english language can you read the english language does it say can you write the english language does it say what you're trying to achieve um, that's really valuable for the rest of the business because we can do that in-house we've got a couple of people we don't we have external legal counsel but we draw on them only for more difficult legal areas um, they're heavily involved in yeah. pricing, commercial negotiation um, with customers uh, in, in business choices. Mm -hmm. So when you adopt technology, helping the business understand the financial implications. Um, so they, they've definitely got a broader skill set than the finance, pure finance function. And, and the business as a whole benefits from that massively so. Amazing. Amazing. Let's talk tech a bit. So, um, so what what sort of tech is top of mind for you at the moment? Um, it, it, you know, what what tech do you use to to run the business to make you yeah. and your team more productive? And then top of mind, if you think about where to improve. Yeah. So, um, so to kind of by way of context, we're scaling, we're growing, we're growing quite quickly. Um, we're going more complicated. Mm -hmm. so we very briefly talked about it earlier. We're opening up in Australia. Um, we've got a you know a relatively new third product line, which kind of we're working hard to expand. Um, we've got presence in the US. We're, we're kind of gradually growing as well. So very quickly, the business itself is becoming more complicated. I'd rather not hire a whole load of people to duplicate what we do today. Um, I'd rather use technology to allow the great people I've got to spend less time doing the boring, low-value stuff. Um, let's find bits of technology that yeah. can do it, do it for us, um, and then they can spend time doing the interesting stuff, the fun stuff, um, fun stuff for them, uh, but also high-value stuff for the business using using the team's great skills. Um, so, um, kind of we've. We've been exploring technology quite a lot recently. Um, so I know things like I know everyone knows banking systems are pretty painful and, and a bit rubbish. Um, so we're looking at, at systems which help integrate our, our accounting system with our banking better. Um, we're looking at, yeah. um, we, we have lots of vendors. Um, so software vendors um, that we use. Um, we work closely with our IT infrastructure team to manage that and it's kind of their responsibility to keep track of all the vendors and make sure licenses don't fall out by accident uh, but we've got to work really closely with them to yeah. understand that 
Um, you know, that kind of stuff is really manual. It takes up a lot of time. So vendor management is is high on the agenda. How can automate that or make that easier? Use up less time. Um, I kind of taken some advice, informal advice from I guess friends of the company and people we know about um, systems in general and a scaling business like this does does evolve and does adopt technology. Um, I think really, really good top tip is start with the customer um, and that the technology and the system that, that is customer facing is, is for most businesses is the CM customer relationship management system. Um, so as as our thinking evolves, um, really we're we're looking and going actually that we have some technologies which work really well for our business today. We've adopted some really scalable technologies in certain areas, but we haven't we haven't done that across the business. So we're starting to think actually maybe this this is the time to do a, a full revisit of our CRM kind of review if that's the right technology. Use our CRM to drive financial data because you know, good CRMs can do that um, to manage our contracts, to yeah. drive revenue recognition, um, and then that comes into okay, what's what is our accounting system? I don't like the term Certainly for our it doesn't it's an accounting system. ERP is the language. Um, so so have we got the right ERP? Um, and today we've got a we've got a small company ERP which we do stuff around using the wonderful Excel and other tools to help make efficient use of a small company accounting system ERP. Um, but you know, our thinking is pretty much kind of going towards the direction. Actually, we yeah. now is the time to look at big, big company ERPs and make the choices. While we're not so big, it's too late. Fantastic. Like loads going on, <laughs> and and yeah, one of the challenges I think well, I've realised we've got to bite off the right chunks. Um, not not do everything at the same time. What are the most important things? Start with those, and you know, CRM is is looking like the starting point. ERP accounting system is probably next, and then all the stuff that goes around that, the vendor management, the the, the banking, all of that kind of stuff will depend on us making the right choices in both selecting an ERP CRM, but implementing yeah. them in a way that supports the business and reflects what we need, what we know we're going to need in the future. Um, yeah. So yeah, loads of thought, high on the agenda at the moment. Yes, fantastic. And what about um, topic I'm really passionate about is a lot of the strategic modeling that you're doing as a CFO, things like planning, modeling, et cetera. Yeah. Have you got any kind of go-to tools or tips in that space? Yeah, okay. So yeah, I get that. That's a huge part of this kind of this ERP selection and, and systems around it, selection choices that we need to make. Um, so we want to go data. We want to be a truly data-based financial part of our business and, and the business as a whole. Um, today, we use Excel. Um, and we're, as a group, we're quite good at Excel, the sort of FP&A, financial planning and analysis that we do. Yeah. Um, it's inherently manual because it is Excel. You can't deny that. 
but we got some pretty good automation that we've built ourselves just with the kind of the power of Excel. Um, so we can do a lot and we've got a, good, a really good model that, that's versatile enough that it's not painful, um, but it's not true data management. Um, so we've, you know, this is part of the, kind of the big discussions. How, how do we turn our business into a data-driven business where you can cut and recut data and understand movements and things that are going from visually and from a data point of view rather than yeah. delving deep into the uh, one, Once we know that and once we've yeah. kind of established that, then longer-term planning, financial planning analysis can be on the same basis. Um, and we won't, we won't be so reliant on Excel, but we'll always rely on Excel. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant tool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. Let's just jump in. Uh, last last bit is just a, some quick fire questions, just to end, just to get a few a, through a few topics. If we ask your team, what is your favourite phrase that, that that you repeat again and again? What would they tell us? I'd say it's um, what's the most important thing, and and, and what can you draw. And, and drop that, do that later. <laughs> Focus on the big, the big, hairy, chunky, yeah. audacious goal. And What's your favorite chart or visual, like way to visualize data and why? Um, a bridge chart is the favorite chart of everyone around me, stakeholders, or at least financially literate stakeholders. Um, I didn't answer your question intentionally because that's that's so it's probably the most useful chart. Um, I love a coloured stacked column chart. Um, I, I I think it gives you um, way more information in one place. Um, and I, I think yeah. those of us in finance we can digest a lot of information like all chunked into one place. Not everyone can. So, so the bridge chart is is or sometimes called is is what yeah. I use most. Last thing, Johnny, thanks so much for coming on the show today. If people want to reach out, uh, where where can they find you? LinkedIn, social media of Yeah, I'm not very good at the other one. Fantastic. All right. Well, great. Thanks for coming on, and. Uh, yeah, it was really great to hear about your journey today. Simon, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. to meet you. Yeah, good luck with, with Block as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. All the best. All right. Cheers, then. Bye-bye.